the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we close the week out here on Abounding Grace, we do so with another look at Revelation chapter 17. It's our ongoing survey of Revelation next on Abounding Grace. Join us. She is known as the Scarlet Woman. Who she is is the subject of our time today here on Abounding Grace. Welcome to the program. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, Pastor Gary Wagner returns us to our survey of Revelation. And again, chapter 17 in this Scarlet Woman, this mysterious woman that shows up here in the final judgments of God. Make it a point to spend time with us today as we explore God's Word together that we might grow in His grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner, today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Scarlet Woman. Notice, first of all, that chapter 17 comes right on the heels of the bowls of final judgment that God pours out upon the nations that rebel against Him in chapter 16. Remember, there were earlier trumpets of judgment, but those were merely preparatory. They were initial that God would send a judgment upon a culture or a nation, but then give it opportunity to repent. But when God pours out these bowls, there is finality to them. That means that God has given them up, so to speak, and the time of their repentance is over, and now the judgment He pours out on that nation or that culture is final. So it is out of those bowls that chapter 17 comes. Now, when we come to chapters like 17, it should be pretty obvious that we have got to be very careful and very humble because of much difficult imagery. There are other chapters in the Bible that I would much rather be speaking on today, but there are symbols here that are obvious, but others that are not so obvious And hopefully God has led me down the right path. Now you see two contrasts here. You see a scarlet woman, a woman dressed in purple and scarlet, wearing all kinds of expensive jewelry. And we have already read about another beautiful woman. Turn to the 12th chapter of Revelation and the first verse. Revelation 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and she was with child. If you remember my exposition, you have a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here, particularly from the Old Testament church that gave birth to the Messiah. 
And as beautiful as this woman in Revelation 17 with her scarlet clothes and her pearls and all of her other precious stones, she is no match for a woman who has the sun and also the moon as her jewelry. So here we are, here we have two contrasts. On the one hand, you have this beautiful woman who represents the church. And on the other hand is this scarlet woman who represents society in rebellion against God. Now, here is the second contrast. In this chapter, we are told about a very, very wicked city, Babylon the Great. And if you will turn over to Revelation chapter 21, you will see another great city. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now we have two women, one good, one bad, and we have two cities, one called Babylon, the other called the New Jerusalem. So there are deliberate contrasts here. So with that in mind, what is the message of this chapter? Now remember, the message flows out of the 16th chapter, which has to do with the bowls of final judgment. So we can say that the message of chapter 17 is that God will bring his judgment to bear upon all of man's efforts to build a heaven on earth without him. That God will bring his judgment to bear upon any civilization that is built to the glory of man, according to the word of man, such as the Roman Empire was. So we're going to see in the 17th chapter the destruction of Rome and, of course, any civilization like Rome that was built upon man and not upon the word of God. Now, remember the two enemies of the church in the first century that the book of Revelation describes Jesus destroying. The first one was apostate Judaism. We've already seen the destruction of that in chapters 4 through 11. The second great enemy of the church was the Roman Empire for its persecution of Christians. And we see the prophecy of its destruction in Revelation 12 through chapter 19. So now we have come to this scarlet woman. Who is she? Well, let's define her geographically, historically, and culturally. Geographically, who is this woman? Notice in the 17th chapter that she sits on seven hills. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains or hills on which the woman sits. Now, I'm pretty sure whether you went to public school or whether you went to Christian school or possibly you were homeschooled, that you were told about the seven hills of Rome, that Rome was built on seven hills. So that, of course, gives away the geographic uh, explanation. The second thing, historically, is that this woman lived during the reign of the sixth emperor of Rome, verses 9 and 10. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are 
seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. So now he is defining this woman historically. She lives during the time of the sixth king of the city set on seven hills. Five kings have already fallen. One is, and there is another to come, but he will not reign very long. Now, Julius Caesar was the first. Augustus Caesar was the second. Tiberius was the third. Caligula the fourth. Claudius was the fifth. Nero was the sixth. And he died in 68 A.D. And there you see confirmation again that the book of Revelation was not written just before the end of the first century, but had to be written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. because it was written during the reign of the sixth king who reigned in the early 60s up to 68. And then, of course, he died. And that was Nero. And Nero's number value was uh, 666. Then interestingly, he says there is going to be a seventh, but he will not reign for long. And just as it says here, Galba Caesar was the seventh, and he only reigned for seven months. Now, who is this woman culturally? It is obvious, I think, that she represents man organized apart from God in societies and nations. She is a, a city, a culture. She is a society that is full of evil and immorality, drunkenness, bloodthirstiness, and all the rest. She is a seductress. She seduces people to her particular lifestyle. She renders a society, a nation, organized apart from God and his law, most particularly, of course, Rome, but also any other ungodly society or nation can be represented in this scarlet woman. Now, what was her name? Verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, it's interesting to see in the New Testament how God takes the names of the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament and uses them to represent the enemies of the church in the New Testament. So here you have Rome during the time of Nero, this scarlet woman who is referred to as Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, in Greek, it's not quite that nice at all in the description of this woman. The very name Babylon to anyone who has read the Old Testament is the epitome of godlessness and lawlessness of an empire in rebellion against God. Babylon in the Old Testament was an enslaver of Israel. She was devoted to lust and pleasure. So it is perfectly a good name to call Roman society in the first century. Then she's called the mother of harlots, the great harlot, the greatest harlot of them all and of the abominations of the earth. Listen to Dr. Rushduni. She is called the great harlot because Babylon does present an ideal of human unity, peace, and brotherhood, which mimics the kingdom of God. 
It therefore tempts man and is properly called a harlot because its temptation is the key temptation, declaring that man is his own God and can create his own paradise. Therefore, Babylon is called the great harlot and the mother of harlots, and the mother of all the abominations of the earth, end quote. <clears throat> so you see, she is given the right name here. And you've read about the Roman Empire, and you know about how wicked Rome was, so that that is a good name for the whole Roman Empire. It is a good name for any society that encourages lawlessness, immorality, perversion, abortion, homosexual, homosexuality, and all the rest. And it, of course, fits our culture as well. And this harlot... Babylon the Great was anti-theistic, anti-Christian, and satanic. That is why she had all kinds of blasphemous names. She encouraged people to rebel against God. And she had names, all of which were blasphemous. Some of these names were God, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, and Provider. You may be asking, what is blasphemous about those names? Nothing, unless you apply them to someone other than the living God. So the blasphemous names are those names that the Bible gives to the living God and Christ that Rome and all other civilization like to claim for themselves. For instance, look at our culture. There are several things our culture proclaims that are only true of God. Our culture proclaims particularly the civil government Imminent domain. Now, those are two fine words when you apply them to the true sovereign of the universe. But when you apply them to the civil government and you say that the civil government has imminent domain over you and your property to do whatever they will, that is another story. Also, notice that if April the 15th lands on a Sunday, the IRS will give you a so-called day of grace. Or like our situation now, they're giving us a couple of months of grace. And isn't that so nice? We have a civil government that even bestows grace upon us. So it's not unusual for Babylon the Great to take these otherwise great names that apply to God and then blasphemously apply them to themselves. And what was the favorite title of the Caesars? It was Curios. Lord of Lords and King of Kings, beyond who there was no other authority. They were not accountable to anyone else above themselves. But Curios only applied in the New Testament to Jehovah, and in the New Testament applies only to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you take these names that belong to God in Christ, and you apply them to the state you wind up with blasphemous names. And as Rush Dooney said, she is a temptress with a key core temptation. And the heart temptation of all is to get man to declare that he is his own God and that he can create his own paradise. So you see this great harlot, anti-Christian to the core, is energized by Satan. 
She is richly dressed, and it is no accident that she is dressed in purple and scarlet. For though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. It is no accidental, it is not accidental to picture this woman as being an evil woman dressed in scarlet. Because notice her actions. She is given to seduction in order to render people powerless and to sap the strength of deceived victims. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth. Remember that phrase has reference to unregenerate people. And they were made drunk with the wine of immorality. In other words, they were useless. They were made impotent. They were valueless. Their creativity was even gone. They just simply became the woman's dupes. And she is given to the persecution of the faithful people of God. Verse 6 describes Rome as well as many other civilizations throughout history. And it says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said, Why are you wondering? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And the only people who will be confused And stand amazed at her are those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the earth. For when they see the beast and hear of the beast's claims, they will have the tendency to believe her. Much like Americans and most of the world today. They will be deceived by this scarlet woman. And she is at war in all areas against God and his created order. Every aspect of life that God claims, she claims. And her basic activity is to get men to worship the beast. That is to be dependent upon the state for salvation and for their future. Looking to its lordship as ultimate. And you see, that really didn't end with Rome. We have it in the United States, whether you're talking about Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives. You see, people who think that the most competent institution in all of this culture to solve all of their problems is not the church, it is the state. So she is still at work to get people to be totally dependent upon the state for cradle to grave salvation. Now, she has a mount, she is writing. There is this scarlet beast, and notice they seem to be quite closely related. They have the same color, the same power, the same purpose, the same activity, the same destiny. Now, who is this beast? Well, we've already identified him. We saw who this beast is or was in Revelation 13. There were two beasts in that chapter. Do you remember them? There was a beast that arose from the land, and there was a beast that arose from the sea. And the beast that arose from the land was apostate Judaism and any other apostate religion that supports the state in its rebellion against God. And the beast that arose from the sea 
I mean, if you were standing in Jerusalem and you were looking out to the west, there is the Mediterranean Sea, and the great beast arising out of that sea is none other than Rome. So here you have this beast, this woman, this apostate culture riding on the back of this anti-Christian, tyrannical apostate state of Rome. And notice it has seven heads and ten horns. Now, what do these things mean? This is one of the areas where we have got to be very careful. And it's difficult to know. But perhaps the seven heads speak of high intelligence. We know the ten horns speak of strength. We've seen that before. And both of those numbers, seven and ten, speak of superiority. So multiple heads have to do with, I believe, intelligence. And horns are symbolic in the Bible of strength. So this beast has tremendous capabilities and power. That's important for us to understand today as we deal with our Babylon the Great and the Scarlet Beast. We're not fighting dummies, beloved. Don't think just because the world out there, this culture, the civil magistrates, apostate churches, the media, education, and all the rest, don't agree with us on various things that are so obvious about the way life is that they're just a bunch of dummies. We are dealing with highly intelligent enemies. Seven heads and ten horns highly intelligent and powerful enemies that can draw as their resources whatever they want to use, including your money and your wealth without your permission. So understand, in all of the wars against Babylon the Great, we are not dealing with weak weak dummies. We are dealing with highly intelligent, powerful enemies. Now we come to a phrase that apparently means something significant, although I'm not particularly willing to die for either one of the educated guesses that I'm going to give you. But notice a phrase that occurs a couple of times. Verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. Now, one thing we know is that everything that comes from hell goes to hell. And everything that originates with the beast has absolutely no possibility of victory. What does it mean to say the beast was and is not and is about to come? You see it again at the end of verse 8 when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Then you see it in verse 11, and the beast which was and is not is himself, etc. So several times throughout this chapter, this beast is said to be something that was and is not and is about to come out of the abyss. Now let me make two educated guesses. And you can take either one of these, or you can take both of them, or if you have a better idea of what this is, then you can go ahead and take that. But look at the theme that we have seen in the book of Revelation thus far. Turn to the 12th chapter of Revelation, and I'll begin reading at the 12th verse, and I will read through verse 12. So Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven, 
Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 